congregation, then this afternoon we deal with Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 33. We'll read it also in connection with that Article 24 of the Belgian Confession. But we begin with Lord's Day 33. And there the church has confessed from the word of God the following. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. And then we also read together Article 24 of the Belgic Confession which you find on page 508 of the Book of Praise. Article 24 about our sanctification and good works. We believe that this true faith worked in men men by the hearing of God's word and by the operation of the Holy Spirit regenerates him and makes him a new man. It makes him live a new life and frees him from the slavery of sin. Therefore, it is not true that this justifying faith makes man indifferent to living a good and holy life. On the contrary, without it, no one would ever do anything out of love for God, but only out of self-love or fear of being condemned. It is therefore impossible for this holy faith to be inactive in man, for we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love. This faith induces man to apply himself to those works which God has commanded in his word. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable in the sight of God, since they are all sanctified by his grace. Nevertheless, they do not count toward our justification, for through faith in Christ we are justified even before we do any good works. Otherwise, they could not be good any more than the fruit of a tree can be good unless the tree itself is good. Therefore, we do good works, but not for merit. For what could we merit? We're indebted to God rather than he to us for the good works we do, since it is he who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let us keep in mind what is written. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Meanwhile, we do not deny that God rewards good works, but by, it is by his grace that he crowns his gifts. Furthermore, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them. We cannot do a single work that is not defiled by our flesh and does not deserve punishment. Even if we should show one good work, the remembrance of one sin is enough to make God rejected. We would always then be in doubt, tossed to and fro without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be constantly tormented if they did not rely on the merit of the death and passion of our Savior. So far, our confessions. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord, 
serving God. That's what the third part of the catechism is about, serving God, not to be saved then, but because you have been saved in Christ. Serving God in thankfulness. The Spirit of Christ works that thankfulness too, having redeemed us by his blood. We confessed in Lord's Day 32, Christ also renews us by his Holy Spirit. How does that renewal work? Well, that's a, it's a... It's a 180-degree turn. First you were going this way, and now you are going this way. You turn around completely. Instead of going with the stream, you go against the stream of your own sinful nature and of the world. So not a 45-degree turn, partial or even a 90 kind of a compromise, but a complete turnaround. The Bible speaks in Romans 6 then, and Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 in terms of the old nature and the new nature. The old translation had old man and new man. But also in terms of flesh and spirit, as we read in Galatians 5 and 6, flesh and spirit which contend against each other within us. I proclaim to you the gospel then as we confess it in Lord's Day 33 with the theme of true repentance. And we see three things in connection with that true repentance. It's through Christ, for God, and with struggle. First of all, true repentance through Christ. Congregation, once in a while you drive along Highway 6 or or 10, and you see an abandoned house on a farm somewhere, weeds growing all around, roof in bad repair, maybe some windows cracked or boarded up. No one lives there, just insects and rodents, like mice or rats, maybe even bats, snakes, maybe a coon or two. And they make a mess out of that house, and over time, the, the left that way, the place would eventually cave in. Well, let's say someone bought that house and the property with it, paid good money for it. He wanted it. He saw something in it. So he made it his own possession. And then he let a good friend move in. So that house has a new owner, and it has a new inhabitant. But even though someone now owns the place and someone, has, someone else has moved into it, doesn't mean that the insects and the rodents and the varmints are gone right away. No, they don't, they don't like to give up the place they made home for themselves. It'll be some time before that house is completely free of of all, that, all those varmints and animals and insects altogether. Only when the exterminator comes will the house be completely free of all those creepy crawlers. Well, that house is similar to our life, to your and my life, taken over by the devil and his host and by sin, conceived and born in sin because of Adam's fall, Inclined to hate God and the neighbor, unable to do saving good, inclined to all sin, all kinds of sinful desires creeping around in there, 
in the houses of our lives, like vermin in that abandoned house. And over time, they'll chew away at that house and eventually bring it to complete ruin. Unless Christ purchases your and my life and makes them his own. In fact, as we confessed in Lord's Day 1, he bought us with his precious blood. He made us his own possession. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and to renew us. And yes, now the Spirit moves in and goes about working those fruits of the Spirit in believers. Those fruits, for instance, that we read about in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, control, the renewed nature. But that doesn't mean that the old nature, that those old sinful desires are gone right away, have disappeared. All that vermin, the original inhabitants, they want to stay in that house, in the house of your life, and they want to keep living there. Yes, eventually they'll all be exterminated when we die or when the Lord Jesus comes back in glory. Then, then we'll be completely free. That, the house of our lives will be completely free of that vermin. And our lives will be completely taken over and filled with the Holy Spirit. Cleansed. Completely filled up. Spirit of holiness and goodness and perfect love forever. But until then, yes, the Holy Spirit wants to live in the house of my life with his good fruit renewing me. But my old nature still wants to hang in there too. Yes, something drastic has happened, has changed. The old nature has been crucified with Christ, put to death with Christ, as Paul writes Romans 6. And Christ is now my owner. Satan is no longer the owner. And I'm now under grace and an heir to eternal life. And the Spirit now wants to live in me. That was promised at my baptism. I've been bought by Christ and the Spirit now wants to live in me, but the old nature and its desires still do their best to hang on to me and not allow him to take the place over. And so there's that conflict inside me, the Spirit and the flesh, the new nature and the old, those old sinful desires. And see, that's where repentance comes in. A life of repentance is a life of conflict within. Battle of the spirit to get rid of the remaining vermin in the house of my life. That's a back and forth battle for life. And it's going to take place in me till I die. And then the old nature will be gone. And it'll be all the new only. The new in the spirit. But in the meantime, repentance has to take place. Ongoing repentance. 
As Martin Luther once said, when the Lord Jesus said, repent, then he meant that our whole life was going to be a battle. For believers, you enter a battle. He said that our whole life was going to be an ongoing process of repentance. It's not over once, it's a continual struggle, constant battle. But, and this is the joy of it all, it's a battle of which the outcome is already sure if that battle is taking place. The victory of the new nature over the old is sure in Christ who died and rose again for his own. And that's also why worship is so important every Sunday again. Jesus' call to repentance goes out in the word. His call to repentance Every time the word is opened here, that's a call to faith and repentance. But then we have to have ears to hear. Not, not to not be here or to hear and not listen. For that call is to grieve and resist the spirit of Christ. That, that if you resist that call, you resist the spirit of Christ who, who wants to live in you and take you over. And to resist the spirit is to give the house of your life over to the vermin of sinful desires again. No, congregation, so let's be open to and filled with the spirit by taking in the gospel of Christ every week again. When you draw near to God, the vermin in your life jumps ship. They want out. We come to the second part of the sermon. True repentance is for God. The catechism, Lord's Day 33, works out from the Bible what conversion or repentance is about. It's the dying of the old nature with its sinful desires and the joyful coming to life of the new with its desire to do God's will. Now, when you read that, maybe you wish it was simpler, repentance. Maybe a list of 10, 20, or even 100 do's and don'ts. A checklist of things for you to do and not to do. And if you do the one side, then you, you repent. And don't do the other. But then, of course, you realize that a lot of things would not be included. And then you just concentrate on, on those things and forget that it's a matter of your whole heart, your whole life. And notice, congregation, Lord's Day 33 asks about true repentance then. The catechism asks about true things more often. Lord's Day 7, what is true faith? And later on, Lord's Day 45, it asks about prayer which pleases God and is heard by him. In other words, true prayer. So with faith and repentance and prayer, the catechism asks, what is true faith, true repentance, true prayer. Apparently then there, there are also, there's also untrue or fake faith, untrue repentance, imitation prayer, counterfeit faith, repentance and prayer, which they look like the real thing, but they're actually imitation. And the question is, how do we know what the real thing is? What is the mark 
of true repentance. Well, thinking about that, you have to say that when you look at the catechism and at what scripture says, that true repentance always centers around God, around Christ. And imitation repentance always centers around yourself. How can I look good? Take the dying of the old nature, the sinful nature we inherit from Adam. That old nature is insensitive to God, toward God. And it actually wants you to follow your own desires. And maybe it still says good things about God. And maybe it's, maybe it says, well, you have to go to church every Sunday. But it's all about yourself. How you look. How people look at you. If that old nature becomes weaker, is chased out of the house of your life, then your, your life becomes more centered around God. And you don't care about yourself as such, but about God. And then you're offended that, that you, you're sorry that you have offended God with your sin. And then you only want to do what pleases Him. You want to look good for Him. That's true repentance. See if I drive too fast on the highway and I get a speeding ticket from the police, I can have remorse. So dumb to drive fast. How could I have done this? Wasted money. But I doubt that I'm going to think, well, so sad for that policeman because now I'm going to inconvenience him. I make him work to stop me and burden him with writing out a ticket for me. Imitation repentance can have remorse, regret. Shouldn't have done that. Bad consequences for me. Like Judas had who hung himself after he betrayed the Lord and saw what had unfolded. But true repentance is heartfelt sorrow that I have offended God. It says, I offended the God who loves me and carries me and provides for me. I hurt Jesus who was reviled and who suffered so intensely for me. I insulted the spirit who wants to live in me and guide me in the way everlasting. Oh God, I'm not worthy to be called your child. I hate what I did and I don't want to fall into it again. Show me so that I show me where to go so I don't fall again. I want to be as far away as possible from that sin and from the people and the things and the circumstances that lead me to that sin. And see, there you have the dying of the old nature. And then at the same time the coming to life of the new. And it's about God. Heartfelt sorrow toward God and heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. Everybody is happy with health, good job, nice place to live, success at school. But true repentance is happiness in God through Christ. Being joyful and thankful in heart 
through Jesus Christ. Because of his, of his cross, I'm reconciled with God. Even if my life isn't going that well and I have trouble over here and there, I'm reconciled with God. Joy in being close to God in Christ in spite of what might be happening. And then it'll also be your desire and your passion to live for him, to live in holiness. The holier, the better, in order to honor your God in Christ. Father, I want to serve you. I want to glorify you. Teach me to devote my life to you. Give me insight in your law. So I know your will for my whole life. We sang that. Psalm 143. I want to serve you with all my heart. With all my soul. And with all my mind. And with all my strength. So true repentance congregation. That's centered on God in Christ. When I sin. I feel sorry about what I did to God. And I beg him for his forgiveness in Christ. And then I also ask him to guide me and discipline me so that I walk in his good ways from now on. That's repentance. It's about God. Sorrow about offending God. Joy in God through Christ. Those two intertwined. And it's not about me then. Not about my happiness It's not about my pride. It's not about how I look to other people. But it's all about Him. About living with and for God. So, what a contrast to imitation repentance. Because it's all about me. Myself. I. Then I can regret what I did because of the consequences I have to deal with now. Nasty consequences. I can change my behavior, but is it really a change of heart then? Or is it just changing for people, for other people? I can leave that sin behind, but am I any closer to God in Christ? It's all about, you see, then it's all about what's best for me. What's to my advantage? Counterfeit repentance is change without heartfelt love for and joy in God through Christ. It's about being afraid of maybe ending up in hell. But no real desire to be with God in his kingdom. I just don't want to think about hell. And then it's also about having excuses for your sin too. It's because of what that other person did to me. Or I actually couldn't help it because I was pushed to do it because of this or that circumstance in my life. You truly don't acknowledge your sin or sinfulness before God. You protect yourself. And if there's no true repentance, you cannot enter the kingdom of God as we confess that in answer 87 of the previous Lord's Day. Impenitence. Maybe you think, I'm living pretty decently. I don't really feel all that sinful. I think I'm pretty good. Maybe you think I'm pretty happy with the way I am and I don't feel like I need to or want to come to repentance. There's really nothing for me to repent for. 
And then God says through his word, today too, you too need to repent and to come to me because that old nature is still in you. Whether you think it or not, it still reigns in your heart. You're, you're going to end up being lost forever the way you are. Come to me in Christ. Wake up. See what has to change in your life. There's forgiveness with me in Christ and eternal peace and joy through him. And I want to lead you in the way everlasting. Again, repentance is true then you see if everything centers on God and Christ. And it's not real if you seek your life inside yourself instead of in Christ. No excuses, no procrastination, no change only but going to God and Christ with open heart. That's repentance and that's not easy because that means struggle for everyone because our nature wants it to be about us, me. And that brings us also to the last part of the sermon then. True repentance means struggle. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, as as Luther said, the life of a believer is a life of struggle because it involves repentance every day again. There are two desires that battle for control in your heart. The old nature with its selfish and sinful desires and the new nature with its desire to love and serve God. In Galatians 5.17, the apostle describes it for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They clash. Two powers in one life. Two residents fighting for one house. Old man, new man. The old nature is big and strong, but it has a mortal wound. Don't forget that. It could still convulse, though, like a snake with its head cut off. It'll still thrash around for a long time. It could still cause havoc. The new nature has come in Christ, but it can be so small and weak yet in us. You can compare that to two dogs in a run, in a dog run. Those two dogs, they fight with each other continually. The one wants to dominate the other. That's the way it is with dogs. Which dog is going to be the strongest? Which one will dominate? Which one will be the dominant dog? It'll be the one which is the strongest, the one which gets the most food. The dog that gets little food will become weaker and weaker, while the dog that's fed more food, good food, will become stronger and stronger. And the question is, which dog do we feed most in our life? The old nature with its desires 
And you feed, you feed that old nature, for instance, with what you watch on TV or DVD or computer, movie. Do you feed him with that? That old nature? With what you see on those, those programs? Those movies? Or do you feed him with what you read? What kind of stuff do you read? Books, computer. Do you feed him when you associate with certain people who want to mislead you, lead you into sin. Because you see that old nature thrives on adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. The more you take in or, or are associated with those kind of things, the more you're feeding that dog of your old nature Loves the smell of sin. Feeds on those things. Flourishes with those things. Becomes stronger and stronger. And you know what that old nature can't stand? When you pray. Prayer chokes that old nature off. So that it can't feed. And becomes weak. And skinny. And small. And you know what can also break that old nature? Admonition, chastening. Doesn't like it when you see things as they really are. When you realize how much you need that relationship with God. When you encounter troubles in your life, you can ask God to use that to humble you, to push down that old nature. Father, make me humble through this. And that that other dog in the run, the new nature... Congregation, feed that one. Feed it with the word. The gospel is good food and energy for that new nature. That nature feeds on the salvation and the righteousness and the holiness of God in Christ. It becomes stronger every time you feed it with the preaching of the word in church. Every time you study the Bible privately or with others. It's energized by the sacraments. It's strengthened by good reading. Strengthened, for instance, by putting the Reformed Outfitters app on your phone and reading an article per day. And the new nature then thrives on prayer too. It's energy food for that nature. And it makes it strong so that it overpowers the old nature. So the question is, which nature, which nature do we foster and pamper? Which one do you foster and pamper? The old nature or the new nature? How much time and energy do we put into care for that new nature? Yes, it's the Spirit of Christ who works that renewal and repentance. But he's not going to do it without us. Let's give that new nature lots to chew on and to grow from. And yes, now, one day the new nature overpowers the old and the next day the old nature is stronger than the new. That, that's a struggle that will go on in each one of us until we leave this life or until Christ returns. But it's a good battle. It's a good fight of the faith. 
When Christ returns, congregation, then the struggle will be over. And then the old will be completely exterminated. And the new will be triumphant. Will be fully cleansed houses for the spirit of Christ to live in forever. What a joy that would be. No more struggle. But able to live with God as completely renewed people in Christ forever. And doesn't that prospect, if you think about it, doesn't that prospect make that struggle a glorious one to keep up now? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the confession about true repentance and conversion in the catechism. Thank you that the church in its history has brought together what your word says about that. We could hear about it this afternoon, something about it. Lord, will you work that true repentance in our hearts so that we, it's not about us, but about you. Heartfelt sorrow for offending you and then joy in you through Christ and the desire to live according to your will in all good works. We know, Lord, that it'll be, a, it'll be a battle. It's a struggle, that contending of spirit and flesh in us. But we also know it's a glorious struggle because we know the end will be victory for the new nature in every believer. Help us in not to feed that old nature, but to starve it as much as we can and to feed the new. Father, to to nourish it so that we may be more and more live in true holiness and become more and more ready to enter your perfect joy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.